Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Timsa Leadership Podcast. My name is Eric Claus, and I have the honor to be able to be your host. You will hear me say often, the most important person that you will ever lead is yourself. And today's conversation is with two amazing leaders that do that on a consistent basis. Dr. Jarrett McKinney and Dr. Jeremy Brzezinski are both EMS board certified emergency medicine physicians and have both received on separate occasions the EMS Medical Director of the Year Award from the Tennessee Ambulance Service Association. They both are amazing physician leaders that are highly respected by their peers and their teams. I know this conversation is going to add value to you and thank you for joining us. Well, guys, I'm super excited that we are here today. We are at the TIMSA Leadership Conference in Murfreesboro. It is July and we had the, it truly was a pleasure for me to be able to be on the stage with both of you for an hour. There's 200 people that are here that are wanting to learn about leadership. And we're in a, we're in a room now. We have a little bit of an audience here with us, which is pretty cool to be able to record this. But, you know, what a pleasure it is to have you guys join us on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, uh, Dr. Jared McKinney, Dr. Jeremy Brzezinski, we have worked together for many years. We have grown together. And today is, is exciting for me because we're going to get to kind of peel the onion back and have you guys teach us some things and insights that we typically don't get to have conversations because we're super, super busy in everything that we do. And uh, let's just start off with your journeys. Um, Dr. McKinney, we're going to start with you. And I'll, as we talked about, I'm going to call you Jared because you guys are friends and Jeremy. But tell us a little bit about your journeys with healthcare in general. Why are you, why were you even interested in medicine? You've made a lot of commitment for many years. So what has that journey been like for you? And where did it start? Yeah, it's an interesting journey. So I actually went to school for engineering. I was uh, an environmental engineering major at Purdue, uh, go Boilers. After my first year, I volunteered at Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis with the Child Life Team. I always told myself I wasn't gonna go into medicine. My dad was a physician, worked 100 plus hours a week got the pager going off back when we had pagers pager going off in the middle of the night and I said I'm never going to do that and during that summer working at Riley Children's Hospital I absolutely fell in love with it and even though I told myself I would never do medicine after that summer I said I got to do medicine this is where I'm meant to be so I actually finished my degree in engineering did a few more courses went to medical school and you know my fourth year of medical school I was trying to decide what I wanted to do I think everybody kind of goes through that stage in life yeah. and you know what am I going to do with the rest of my life and, and enjoyed all the rotations and, and found the one place that I could do all those things that I really enjoyed without um, trying to commit to, to one specific specialty um, not that emergency medicine is not a specialty it absolutely is but it allows you to to do pediatrics it allows you to do trauma it allows you to do cardiac care so it was at that point I decided I wanted to do emergency medicine did my residency and then you know we talk about leadership journeys one of my um, leaders and mentors, Corey Slovis sat me down. I said, what do you want to do with your life? Wasn't quite ready for that question. I said, I just want to finish residency and go get a job. And he said, great, where, you know, do you want to work in academics? Do you want to work in the private world? And, and I loved teaching. Wasn't very good at teaching at that point. Um, it's also a separate journey. It's a separate podcast, but 
he said, listen, you, you seem to really enjoy your EMS rotation. You seem to um, get along with people out in the field. And, and so spend a year doing it with me. If you like it, we'll continue on. If you don't like it, we'll figure out something else to do. And did a year doing EMS from 2006, 2007, and absolutely fell in love with it. And, and much like my time at Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis, I had the same kind of feeling that year doing EMS. Mm -hmm. And I love my time in the department, but I also realized that, man, this is where I want to be. This is what I wanted to do. Um, and without, without belaboring the journey too much, we'll, we'll talk more about it. I didn't know anything about EMS. Mm -hmm. I spent a year trying to learn, still learning to this day. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a fun journey. Great story. Dr. Brzezinski, referred to as Dr. B, uh, to many of the people uh, at uh, the place of employment where y'all work. But... Um, yeah, you've been a great friend as well, and have, both of you guys have mentored me. But So how about you, Jeremy? What has it been for you? When did you know you wanted to get into medicine, and what's that experience been like? Well, thanks for the great introduction. I've known you for a while, too, and consider you a good friend of mine. And this is actually, this is actually a kind of a personal journey. I, I've brought this up before, but my life has ended up in a wonderful place with initially not ill intentions, but well, not well-placed intentions. I, I, uh, I went into medicine initially because I thought that's what I needed to do to be quote unquote successful. Um, I, uh, I had family members who were super successful in sports and college athletes and things like that. I, I was not born with the athletic trait, but I was born with the ability to do good in school. Valedictorian, um, did well with those type of things. And so I defined success really early on as, as academics and, and good grades, and at some point I associated that with, well, I need to be a doctor because that's that's what success is. And um, that didn't come from anyone in my family. I have, I have no physicians in my family. Um, and so I kind of went into it with, with you know, not the greatest reason to become a physician. It was a, it was a introspection, kind of self-esteem issue, um, but uh, kind of like McKinney over here, I had a, a defining moment when I was an undergrad and I was, uh, I was majoring in pre-medicine, and that was kind of a weird major because you can only become a doctor with mm -hmm. the pre-medicine. You know, you, you can't, you know, some people do biology and things like that, but you're, you're kind of putting yourself in a box. And I was told that you need to do things in medicine to make your application to medical school look good. And so uh, in undergrad, I found a job as a dialysis technician, um, and I you know, took a two-month course to become a, dial a hemodialysis technician with dialysis patients. Um, and I saw these patients three times a week, every week, for the two years I worked there. And these patients on hemodialysis, that's kind of their life. I mean, they show up, they get dialyzed for three hours, and then it's an hour on, hour off. So about five or six hours a day, they're in the hospital, hooked up to a machine, to an artificial kidney. Um, and I ended up developing, developing quite a bit of relationship with, with these patients and starting to understand what chronic illness was and social aspects of medicine and uh, barriers to health care. And that was the first time when I was 18 or 19 I, I, I saw my first patient die. It was my first code that I ever saw was in a hemodialysis unit where one of my favorite patients um, just had a cardiac arrest while on dialysis and, and couldn't be resuscitated. And at that point, I, it, it kind of hit me the kind of the, the humility and the gravity of medicine from 
first responders, EMS, emergency medicine, every subspecialty there is, it, it kind of put a, a human face on, on, on the career choice I chose. And so after that, I, you know, I did some time in a pharmacy. I did some time uh, in a surgical ward. Uh, but I always go back to that hemodialysis experience and the bond with these patients and what they went through that kind of that led me down the road to medicine. And so when I decided to go into medicine and went into medical school, um, kind of like a lot of emergency medicine physicians, I really liked a lot about a lot, but I didn't like a lot about one thing to only do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I did my OB rotation, I really liked OB, but I, I couldn't picture myself doing that forever. And I really liked general surgery, but I couldn't picture myself doing that forever. And, and so I developed some, some contacts and developed some mentors at the time in emergency medicine who um, was able to show me that there is a profession out there where you get to experience facets of, of all subspecialties in medicine. Um, and you don't know what your day is. And that kind of goes with EMS as well. And what drove me towards EMS is your day is very unpredictable in EMS and emergency medicine. When you wake up and go to work, you don't have a schedule. Mm -hmm. You don't know you're going to do this case or have these patients. You don't know what's going to happen. It could be the most boring day known to man, or it could be a mass casualty situation. And so kind of that unpredictive nature of EMS and emergency medicines, what, what drove me there over time. <clears throat> Jared, you whispered um, with your mouth to uh, our participants in the room that you didn't know that when when Jeremy was saying that. And then I thought the same about you because you were saying things. I've known you guys for eight years and I'm hearing things. And what, what I think comes to me from a leadership lesson, and we're spontaneous, there's no script here for those of you that have tuned in before, is that the power of asking someone questions and listening to their journey, there is so much value in learning that because although I work with you guys professionally and I see you guys perform professionally all the time and the leadership roles that you have but to get to know you it's a fascinating thing that i think you know even with uh my, my son chris is here both of you guys know him he was on a, uh, on a recent podcast sitting down across from him and asking him questions was amazing this has probably been the biggest blessing i think from this podcast is getting to have a seat at the table and asking the questions on behalf of everybody listening and learning on this journey. So that was absolutely incredible to, to be able to hear. And I, I wanna create the stage with where we work. It's a, a very intense environment. You know, academics, everybody is on their game and professionalism and patients that are dying every day and helicopters that are coming in several times a day and sirens and sickness and it's intense. And how do you guys, can you turn it off? Can you not? How has that impacted you? I've always wanted to ask you guys that question because you guys have been like the ultimate professionals. And even when I have to connect with you outside of work, it's almost like, I don't want to say you're not bothered by the things that you do, but how do you handle the intensity of what it is that you do daily and still have families and you guys have beautiful families and you're great husbands? I, I've always wanted to know that. Yeah, so <clears throat> I actually wish I would have had you ask me this question about 20 years ago. Um, and you know, you, you talk a lot about honesty and vulnerability and I didn't think about that for a long time. 
right? Like I didn't, I didn't ask myself that question early on. I think, you know, Jeremy talked about high pace, it's high stress, it can be slow, it can be fast, you never know what you're gonna see. And I really fed into that early on. And that's what, that's what I enjoy doing, was showing up to work and, and doing that. And I think that over time, those things add up. And if you're not intentional about how you think about that and how you're gonna deal with that, it can become a challenge. And so I think one takeaway from that question, and then I'll answer your question actually, uh, is I would encourage people to, to think about that in their mind, how they're gonna deal with that, because you get 20, 30 years down the road in this career, and those things have added up, and you've, you've kind of hit some skeletons in the closet that, that may be problematic. So I think start thinking about that early. I think that the, the answer to your question, since that's the point of why you asked me, is surround yourself with your family, with your friends, with people you trust that you can lean on. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think for many years of my career, it just wasn't something we talked about, right? You didn't talk about how do you deal with these things. And fortunately, I think over the last five, 10 years, maybe less than that, it's become a little more normalized to have those conversations. And so I think having friends and family around that, that you can lean on, um, especially when, when you're struggling, right, um, is super important. And I think the final thing, and, and I'll hand it over to Jeremy, is that I had this feeling early on in my career that I don't want to bring work home, mm -hmm. right? And But my wife would ask me, how was your day? Yeah. And I would always have a bland answer. Oh, it was great. It was fine. It was hard. You're a positive person. Yeah, yeah but I think I sheltered her, which then in turn I thought I was kind of sheltering myself yeah. from reality. And so if someone asks you, how are you doing, how's your day? Yeah. Take some time to answer it because they want to know. Yeah. So great feedback, great info. Yeah, that that's actually a, a really really powerful point. The um, the concept of you know what do you do when you get home and all those things is I'm by no means good at that. I've had to develop that over time. And 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 to Jared's point, when you come home and say you're not going to bring work home, you always bring work home, whether you realize it or not. Whether it's answering emails at the dinner table, whether it's snapping at your kid when you wouldn't have snapped at your kid, when the reason you're snapping at your kid is because something has happened at work or in the field that stressed you out. And being able to recognize that there's an ability to turn it off, but you're not human if you completely turn it off. Things affect us. And being able to talk to your family, to your friends, to have that outlet is super important. Um, you know, there's been times over the years where, you know, my wife is currently not in healthcare, so doesn't really understand kind of what I do a lot of times or the day-to-day -day things and struggles. And, um, and so finding someone in your family, but also outside your family. I know Jared has been a good outlet over the years to just be like, hey, you know, what I'm about to say might not be kosher or politically correct in it, but we're gonna, I'm just going to let some stuff roll off my tongue for 20, 30 minutes, and I feel good after it. I've done that with you too, Eric, and it's, it's been really, really helpful. Um, you know, putting family first, for me personally, faith is really important to me, and, and kind of just keeping things in line because, you know, I, I say this when I lecture, is uh, we're all replaceable, mm -hmm. And, and I like to view that we're all replaceable in kind of a cathartic, positive way, you know, not in a negative way. But we are all replaceable. And that's kind of freeing in a way. Yeah. 
when you you give all your time and energy to this thing um, and when it becomes not fun and it becomes too much of a job you lose perspective on how lucky you are to be an EMS and how lucky you are to be in emergency medicine and 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 we're all replaceable and this will all end and it's it's really really good to have that perspective and it's very freeing um, you know I've dealt with anxiety over the years lecturing or at home or whatnot and um, the ability to to let go and and express yourself to others has been pretty helpful to me um, more so recent over the last you know recent years um, it hasn't always been that way yeah it's a powerful statement because I remember the first time you said that and I heard that we're all replaceable that is almost like you don't want to admit that as a leader I think especially early on and when you said that I, re- I like I thought about it in a way that I never have and you shared it today. It was 200 people in the room, and you guys went after me, and I got to watch some of the audience members and the participants from what you all were saying, and they were taking notes, and some of the things were shocking because they never heard it say, but deep down, you you know it's true, and that realization, and let's, let's kind of spin this a little bit. I, th- I think this is a, a good segue. All of us during our talk today we're referring to in some form or fashion that we have to get good at leading ourselves and having self-awareness, which by the way, as you all know, it's very, very difficult. It's the battle if we don't get that right and we fail. We have to understand when we fail, how to recover and you know, it goes into professional lives and our personal lives and you know, every aspect. And um, Jared, you mentioned something that was quite interesting because Jeremy and I were sitting next to each other and he referred to it as the Chili's conversation. (laughs) And although I was there and I was part of this conversation, I had no idea what that conversation meant for you personally. And tell us about that. Yeah. Chili's. So we had just done an educational session with a group and you you know, you and I met up for lunch and I forget how you exactly phrased the question, but but you basically asked me about leadership and how do I see myself as a leader and, you know, strengths, weaknesses, challenges. And, and I paused and I realized at that moment that you asked that question, one, I didn't necessarily see myself as a leader. And two, that was within the last year. So I had spent 18, 19 years really not even thinking about leadership. I think you often go through your career and get appointed to positions, develop relationships, start leading without naming it and without calling it out. And while that's a good thing to move move through that process and move up the ladder, I think the earlier you start thinking about leadership, the better. So you asked me that question and I thought to myself, I don't know anything about leadership. And you and I sat there for, ended up being a two hour plus lunch, I think, just talking about, you know, what have my challenges been? What have I been learning? Where do I think I have strengths? Where do I think I need to improve? And I remember one of the most poignant things about that conversation for me personally, and I love conversations like that, right? Because it wasn't planned. It was just kind of this free form, where did it go conversation? Neither one of us were really meant to have it. And I said something about the pot of gold wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mean that negatively. What I meant by that was you're gonna be in this journey in your career and get to certain benchmarks or get to certain rungs on the ladder where you're like, I've made it. And it can kind of be an empty feeling because it's the what now. 
and I think it was it was really that lunch that made me realize how important the journey is mm -hmm. and you have to enjoy the journey right and so you have to enjoy the rainbow on the way to the pot of gold and part of enjoying that journey is learning how to lead becoming a good leader and then developing leaders around you and then you get to the end you know we talked about all replaceable and eventually you're going to stop doing this job you get to the end and say man it was a fun journey mm -hmm. and it's less about where you got to and how you got there so yeah Chili's was important I, I again you know I said this a few minutes ago if Chili's would have happened 20 years ago who knows where things would have gone so yeah, it was great it was eye-opening for me uh, to be able to hear that Jeremy any just any thoughts <clears throat> no I mean yeah that? I mean I, I agree with that wholeheartedly and Jared just hit in a phrase that you know there, there's a book called Atomic Habits that uh, that, I that. that I read that, that I love the book and and one of the things that the author said in there several times that Jared just said is don't fall in love with the goal fall in love with the journey um, you know I've spent a lot of my my life with stress and anxiety kind of battling food and weight and all kinds of things and over the past six to eight months I, I've taken a I've taken a, a pretty aggressive look at my life and my health and kind of, you know, weight loss, which is a very slow journey, but um, it's really affected my ability to be a leader. It's, I, I, Jared said, you know, one time a couple years ago that he used exercise a lot. And so I kind of just jumped right in. I wasn't an exercise type person. And then I started exercising and I started exercising more and started to see some results. And have a long way to go, but then as with everything, and this relates to EMS and emergency medicine, um, you can't get stifled by certain goals. You know, you can't, you can't get on a scale and say, I've only lost one pound this week. It was for nothing. You've got to fall in love with the journey, you know, not the end point. Whatever the end point is, you'll get there, and that end point won't be the end point that you wanted. And so it's this ever-evolving journey through life where you you learn to love every single step along the way with a goal in mind, but that doesn't that goal doesn't define who you are, which I really love what Jared just said about the pot of gold concept. I'd never heard that before, but there is no pot of gold. You, you're ne you never do anything in life and you say, oh my goodness, I'm there. Yeah. I finally made it. There, there really is no finally made it. Um, you know, I've heard professional athletes speak on this. You know, the LeBron James, the the Tom Brady's where there's no pot of gold for them. You've won six Super Bowls. You've got, you know, this many MVPs. You're married to a supermodel or were. You're worth millions of dollars. Um, and it's still what's next. It's, it's falling in love with the journey, um, not the end, because there isn't a pot of gold. And that's okay. I mean, that should be something that, that you cherish and something that you hold on to, because what would all this be if there was a pot of gold? Yeah. You know, um, then you would just be done, and yeah. and we don't want to be done. And that's why the field of EMS is is so amazing because it's so evolving, um, day by day. You know, new devices, new educational standards, um, new services popping up here and there, different levels of education and training. Um, it's just a great career to be in where. You have to enjoy the path because there is no pot of gold. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. We talk about kind of reaching a goal or, or a point or whatever you're striving for. I think the more that you think about leadership, developing leadership, the more you keep your eyes open, 
you may end up somewhere you totally didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And it may be a really amazing place, yeah. right? And it's not what you wrote. It's not what you strived for. And you end up there and you think, huh, I didn't know I'd get here, but this is pretty fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, gr the growth aspects. I, I want to pause for a second and really share with everyone the, the environment that both of you, in, including myself, work in, everything is learning and evolving and changing and you have to become better. You have to become ver a, a, a better version of yourself academically because algorithms change. But that's the same concept for leadership is that as soon as you, know, you, you get off of the stage today and somebody comes up to you and they praise you and you're like, you guys did a great job. I don't know if y'all are like me. I don't think about it as, oh, great, this is the perfect lecture. I think, man, I'm changing this for next time. I'm like always looking ahead to be like, how, am I, how can I make it better? How can I be a better you know, version of myself to kind of, I, I want to recreate myself consistently. And uh, so that, that's been pretty interesting. The, um, back to the academic center and you know, where we work, when you guys are around people, this is one of the fascinating things I think for me is the people that work with you when you're not around and, we, and you guys come up in conversations, the amount of respect that they have for you um, because of who you are and the vulnerability and the trust and they just know that they can depend on you and it's, a, it's an amazing quality and a leader. Both of you guys are very, very humble and I know that you're uncomfortable and me even saying that, but it is true. And that's a, that's a mark of a great leader. And I've learned and, you know, watching you guys both, you know, Jared, one thing that steps out to me, we, we deal with some really gnarly stuff with, you know, adverse events that happen, not, not intended, they just do. And your attitude of professionalism and giving people the benefit of the doubt is unlike anything that I've ever seen. Even when we think we know the answer, you have some common things that you do where you're asking questions and you're not assuming. You're giving people the benefit of the doubt internally and externally. But what shaped that for you? Because that is not, I struggle with that. I'm just gonna tell you the truth, but everything is positive for you, it seems. Now, yes, I understand there's a, another side, but your approach, you got to talk about it because I need to, I need to learn from it. And I know people do. Yeah. I think some of that, you know, Jeremy today talked about mentorship and having mentors. And as I was coming through medical school and residency and early in my career, you see habits of others that you want to emulate. And then you see habits of others that you think, man, I, I don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And I think for me along the way, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm going to continue to make mistakes. And when I made mistakes and someone did that for me and just said, talk to me about that. You know, what happened? What'd you learn from it? What can we do differently next time? Has not just the impact of, well, that was good. Now I can learn. Now I can improve. They're not just mad at me, right? We talk a lot about culture of safety and learning from mistakes and, and opportunities to not let them happen again. So there's that aspect. But I think the aspect, again, you're going to hear a lot through this conversation that, that we're still learning and things that I've learned along the way. I think the impact of when something does go wrong, there's an unintended outcome, you make a mistake, the personal and emotional impact is in a lot of ways guided by people's initial reactions and responses. 
And the last thing I want a provider I'm working with to leave a conversation thinking is I screwed up, I caused this and then have to live with that forever. We are human. We work in a field that is imperfect and there's going to be outcomes that were preventable or not preventable. And it's, we're, we're, we're not robots, but in order to continue to do the job, you have to be able to learn from those experiences and move on. That doesn't mean don't think about it. It doesn't mean don't take it seriously. It doesn't mean they don't impact you, but somebody's initial reaction to that mistake really guides what happens in the future and how that provider feels. And so whether it's in the field, whether it's in the department, I would want that when I make a mistake. And so then I should have that same grace on others who make mistakes. And Jeremy talked about praising in public and, and having tough so conversations powerful. behind closed yes. doors. When something happens, it's not the time. And right? Emotions are high. Or great. Emotions are high. Nothing good comes out of it. And I don't want five, 10 years from now, a provider that I, you know, had an interaction with after an unintended outcome to still be letting that wear on them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's really good and really, really, really strong. It, uh, Jeremy changing gears just a little bit <coughs> during your <coughs> figure edit that out. Right? Yeah, no, it's all good. This is real. This is real. <coughs> <podcast. Okay. laughs> Sorry. I, I was holding that in the entire talk. It's like, God. Okay. <coughs> and yes, and, and it's come off the rails. So, <laughs> with um, with your part in in your lecture, I wanted to talk to you about in one of the things that you mentioned. I think one of the most challenging things that every leader has, every person has, every mom has, every dad has, like, the, and then you get kids and you're you're busy and you're like, there's not enough hours in the day, and it's not about are we going to be busy. <laughs> What are we going to be busy with? Because we can be crazy busy. But you shared from a professional standpoint about how you manage your calendar was really eye-opening for me, and I know several people today. But do you mind sharing how you prioritize? Yeah, so as I mentioned in the lecture earlier today, um, some of it's a little OCD, and, and no one has to go to quite the extreme that I do. But one thing I noticed over the years of developing what it means to be a leader is, is leaders in my eye are organized and deliver uh, on promises. And I found that I was pretty scattered with my responsibilities. Um, whether it's prepare for this lecture or write this paper or do this chart review or go to this meeting. And it was very scattered and I had quite a great deal of difficulty prioritizing what I was gonna do. And so what I decided to do was every hour of the day, that includes usually Monday through Friday. On the weekends, if I'm working, I'm working. But I write on my calendar what I'm going to do every single hour for that week. And that doesn't mean that every single hour needs to be filled with something, but I will put hour by hour from hour whatever to hour whatever every single hour that I'm going to do and I only dedicate a maximum of one hour to anything at a time. And so, for instance, if I have a paper to write and charts to review and I have to call this crew member about XYZ, you know, I'll put on my calendar from 8 to 9, 
I'm going to work on this paper from 9 to 10. I'm going to do this from 10 to 11. I'm going to do this. And when that time is over, it's over. So if I'm not done with my paper at 9 a.m., then I'm done for the day on that. And I go to my next task. And I usually try to give myself a 10-minute break to get up, walk around, get some coffee. And then after that hour, if it gets to the hour and I'm not done, um, then it's get tabled to something else. And the reverse happens as well, is if I get done early, I don't necessarily rush the next event. I just have more time to get up and to stretch my legs. And my calendar is full of not just meetings, but you know, exercise from here to here, um, kids hockey practice from here to here, uh, read with my kid from here to here, play baseball with my kid from here to here. And <clears throat> as the day goes on and the week goes on, I share that with my wife at the beginning of every week. And so she knows exactly what I'm going to be doing and what times I've held things aside. Now, do I stick to that 100%? I try my best, but it's not always possible for 100%, and some things need more than an hour here or there. But I make it very clear that when I set my time, when I'm done, I'm done. I've got to move on to the next task. And that also goes and feeds into the, the concept of, of doing what's most difficult first. There's a lot of studies that show that we're way more productive in the morning hours of the day, um, whether that's cortisol levels, whether that's sleep, whether that's your coffee, you're most productive early in the day. And so procrastination is not necessarily laziness or avoidance. There's been a lot of studies that have shown procrastination is based on fear and anxiety. And if you really think about it, why have I not written this book chapter? Why have I not reached out to this crew member about this bad flight? The reason isn't usually laziness. It's usually there's a, uh, there's a component of fear or anxiety. This is overwhelming for me. This is gonna be hard for me. Um, this is something that I'm not comfortable with. So we tend to put those off to the end of the day and we just never get to them. And so then you find yourself up against a deadline where you never ever wanna be up against a deadline. So I will intentionally say, you know what? I really don't wanna do X, Y, and Z. I let myself reflect on that. Why do I not wanna do X, Y, and Z? And come to the, the truth behind that and then make sure I tackle that first. Um, so if you get an email from me at like 8 in the morning, there was probably something really hard that I didn't want to email you about or talk to somebody about. But, uh, but that's the way I tend to do it. Because as the day progresses and we get more tired and we're post-lunch, and those are the times you want to do more mundane tasks that don't take a lot of thought or, or, or emotional attention. That's, that's what I do. We're looking around the room and we're just like, Wow. I wish I would have learned that years ago and taken responsibility for your own calendar. That is truly insightful. And thank you for sharing that because that's impacted me before. I know it's impacted everybody here today and everybody listening was a, a really, really insightful leadership lesson from, from experience. Jared, did you want to say something? Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We're, we're doing this podcast. I listened to the lecture earlier and participated in the lecture, I guess. And... I always learn something and, and Jeremy said something really important. Sometimes creating empty space on your calendar makes you more productive. Yeah. And I think the thing that I'm really working on and have been really bad at in the past is also respecting other people's empty space. Mm, yeah, and so Jeremy, really Jeremy made the good point that 
don't send an email at eight o'clock at night because whoever you're sending that to is going to really feel obligated to respond. It's really good. And so I started doing something, you know, COVID, obviously there were many challenges with COVID, but it really knocked down barriers in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Suddenly everybody was available. Hey, can you jump on an 8 p.m. Zoom? And everybody's like, oh yeah, let's do that. Well, how terrible was that? And so somebody I worked closely with, I decided I was not going to email them. I was only going to send a Teams message. So if they were on Teams, they would get it. But if they had logged off for the day and they weren't on Teams, they wouldn't feel obligated to respond. So I think creating, and Jeremy said he creates that empty space. He's playing baseball. He's reading. It makes you more productive. If every day you have work and you don't have any of that empty space, you become less productive and it becomes, you know, you're less respectful of other people's time as well. So, so good. Wow. And it goes back to the pot of gold thing is when you set up little goals throughout the day, you actually, and and I found at least for me, since I took control of my calendar to that degree, I feel like I've accomplished more during the day because I know exactly what I'm going to do and I know exactly how long I'm going to do it. And so when it gets to be time to go home, I can reflect on, all right, I've accomplished these things and now I've got three hours set aside for blank space, whether that's helping my wife at home or taking the kids here or there or or doing those things. But I can always reflect back and at the end of the week and go, okay, yeah, I did get a lot done. I did get a lot. And and a lot of it's accountability too. Um, you, You have to be accountable and you have to hold yourself to it. And that can be really hard at times. But if you do it long enough, you can kind of really get into a groove on, you know, what you need to do when, what is your priority and the time it's going to take to complete X, Y, or Z. And you just become more efficient. So, so good. Well, we're going to do something different. I've never done. This is the first time we've done two together on the podcast. Maybe the last time, too. We'll see how it goes. uh, They may have to get us another mic, right, to be able to do multiple uh, people in one interview. But I want to ask both of you, are there any questions that each of you would want to ask each other of things that you guys have been friends a long time? Is there anything that you would want to know from Jeremy or you would want to know from Jared that you didn't know or anything about the conversation of, you know, something you know, like, wow, I've always wondered this about you and tell us about that. But I would, that's something different and something fun. But can you all think of any questions that you would want to ask each other? Yeah. Yeah, so, me too. <laughs> this, um, this is, I don't know why it came to me, but this is about to get fun. Good thing this didn't lie. Uh, so I, I really dislike the question, what would you do different? Because I think there's a connotation behind that. We have our EMS fellows sitting to my left. I won't mention their name. But when I think of people that I've been around for many years, mm-hmm. and when I think of what leadership is, it's how can we teach other people and how can we influence other people? and continue on a legacy and continue on success. And so I think my question would be not what would you do different, but what are one or two things you've learned over the last 15, 20 years, or let's say over the last two years, last two years, we'll do last two years. Something you learned over the last two years that you wish you would have known 20 years ago that you can then impart on our EMS fellow and and other people that we're working with. Yeah, I I think, the thing about that is a lot of that has come out of getting ready for lectures like this mm-hmm. and having a, a kind of the ability to introspect. And 
One of the things that I would do differently today than I would do two years ago, and Jared can probably attest to this, is because he's been my sounding board, is life is too short to be negative. Mm -hmm. And life is too short to try to put the intentions of others in a mindset where you think you know what people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, people are not intentionally out to harm you. People are not intentionally out to make your life miserable. People are not intentionally out to do these things. And so I've tried to work hard over the last two years, and I think it peaked during COVID when, when Jared and I were talking a lot, where there was naturally a lot, there was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of change in my life at home. There was a lot of change at work. There was a lot of just change and learning how to embrace change and realize it can be a positive thing as opposed to making change a fearful thing where there was a period of time I had so much change in my life, I was not happy. Mm -hmm. uh, change was viewed as hostile. Change was viewed as um, something that was going to leave me out. You know, the imposter syndrome. You know, I don't fit in here. Um, kind of thing like that. <clears throat> and, you know, when you're viewed as a leader, a lot of people don't think that you have those thoughts and those feelings. And I was able to to really, really work with Jared and just have some of these conversations. Um, but, but I've noticed just organically over the last few years, um, there's been there's been less of that as, as I've realized that there's going to be days you're frustrated. There's going to be days, but but realizing it's, it's too short and there's way too many important things in life to worry about than to get fixated on X, which probably isn't even true. But you take it as a reality and you take it as truth and your brain runs with it. And when your brain runs, for, runs with it, your adrenaline runs with it and then your anxiety runs with it. And then you spiral into a place of how did I get here? Like how did I get to a point mentally where, where situation X ended up being interpreted as situation Y. And it was never gonna be situation Y, and it was never gonna get there. So I, I can come off as kind of a, kind of a goofy um, you know, guy in the emergency department, kind of a, kind of a jokester, and, and I like that, but behind the scenes there is, there is uh, some anxiety and, and negativity I've had to really work with over the years. And thankfully I've had some good friends and people that have been able to lead me through um, one thing that, that you said at the conference is I'm also not a very good reader. I've never enjoyed reading. I didn't do well in school with reading. I could read a medical book all day long, mm -hmm. but, you know, f you know nonfiction or, or, I'm sorry, fiction, I'm not good at. But uh, podcasts and ebooks and audiobooks, A, have opened up my mind to concepts I never had before, and B, realize that there's a lot of other people who feel the same way I do yeah, yeah. and have taken the ability to write about it and be my leader in certain areas. You know, the people, change thing is super interesting. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, there. no, go. So from a leadership standpoint, Jeremy's spot on. And, and I didn't think about this early in my career, and I'm glad he brought this up, is when you're working with a team or an organization, if you can kind of get this idea out there that change isn't bad, right? We need to change. We need to evolve. And don't approach change as I'm making you do something or you're making me do something, but how are we growing as a group is really important. I think I, hearing Jeremy say that, I think, man, that was a good answer because I think over, over my first 15, 20 years, 
when there was change, I always views it, oh, here we go. Yeah. We're going to change something. And most of the time, it ends up being really good. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you want to be that leader that somebody comes to you and says, hey, this isn't working. Let's try something different and really be change-minded. So, Before your turn to ask your No, question. we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, as in sitting here, and I appreciate you answering because it had a chance for me to reflect. I think if I had to go back, the one lesson that I would share that comes to my mind at the moment is I would have learned to add value to people sooner, not just professionally, but in my personal life too. I learned early on you know, with our administrator that we report to when he asked this powerful question, one of the most powerful questions I've ever heard, and I, I, try to, I try to do it, I don't do it as consistently as I need to, but is what can I do for you? Man, if I would have figured that out, I would have been a better teammate. And that's probably the one thing that I would share that was the most impactful, that was life-changing for me. Now, I would tell you on a side note, um, uh, my wife, Clarissa, the first time I asked her this, what can I do for you? She kind of turned her head sideways like, are you okay? You have a fever? So it was just a, it was just a funny thing uh, about, you know, crossing, you know, leadership professionally and personally together. But what there's about such you? a de- There's such a depth to that question, though. It's, it's interesting hearing you say this in Clarissa's response, right? There's such a depth to that. You can say, what can I do for you? And not really actively listen. And it's kind of a, a flippant, oh, I'm good, nothing right? Mm-hmm. Or there's a kind of servanthood approach to leadership of no truthfully, what can I do yeah, for sincerity. you? Sincerity, not in this moment, but over time, what can I do for you? That's great. And so great hearing, hearing her response is very interesting because the way you answer that question, I think kind of reflects on you as a leader too, yeah, right? Yeah. You probably have those conversations now and they're very long. Yeah. yeah. And in the past, I've, hey, can I do anything for you? That's much different than what can I do for yeah, you over a period exactly. of time. So. And if they don't hear you the first time, to yeah. sit down and connect eyes and be like, no, really, like, yeah. what do you need from right. me? And it wasn't that he was taking, uh, our administrator wasn't taking advantage of it. He truly was basically saying, because I talked to him later about this, was he was basically asking, what barriers do I need to break down for you to be successful? Like, I'd never heard that before. Yeah. It was yeah. um, an amazing experience as, as a leader in learning that along the way. So, Jeremy, for you, is there any questions that you want to ask, Jared? Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're hanging on here. I thought We're I had deflected like... enough that we had moved on. No, no. Like, uh, where'd you get your dressing style? Oh, uh, yes. The socks, yeah. right? Everything. So, no, in all, in all seriousness, yeah. I have a serious question and a not serious question. The okay. serious question is, um, where did your style come from? Your crazy socks, your, your pastel shirts, your, your different beards, your different hairs, where did that come from? Yeah, you're not going to be ready for this answer. So um, I am fairly straight and narrow kind of guy, right? Was always home by curfew. Didn't do anything bad in high school. Never really lived on the edge. Never took risks. And I still don't. I got a tattoo. That was pretty risky. But I never, I never did those things. And I started thinking, well, how can I how can I show who I am as a person? Cause I'm not outwardly like that. And I started, you know, wearing some fun socks or wearing a crazy tie and people really kind of commented on it and not in a negative way, just like, Whoa, <laughs> didn't see that coming. And it was, it was 
without thinking about it at the time, it was my way of being a little bit different than I normally was and was doing something a little different. I know that sounds really corny. No, it's great. But I, I was the white shirt, you know, khaki pants, and that's what I did. And I thought, well, that's kind of boring, Jared. And so, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to poke fine just a little bit. When he pulls up in the in, in the parking lot and with what you are driving is like, yes, and you come out and you're styling, it is so much fun. Uh, Except to, the, the skinny scrubs have to go. <laughs> the skinny scrubs have to go. Other than that, the skinny pants scrubs, got to go. Yeah. So it's my benign. That was a serious question, by the it's way. My, it's it's my benign way of doing the unexpected without being too risky. So. It's co- hey, man, I, I got I got good socks on today because of you, so it's good. Hey, leadership I, I is influence. It there is we go. Yeah. It is influence. Well, and one thing I wanted to comment on that you that you probably don't perceive in yourself, but one thing that I've always perceived externally is I know that I've developed my concepts of being balanced and my controlling calendar and things like that. But to me, you've always come across as very, very put together. You're working hard. You're with the family. You're always golfing with people. You're going, where do you find the ability to have the free time to golf and to do other things that I haven't been able to find the ability to do? Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, there's the outward what people see and then reality. I've tried to become a lot more intentional over the last few years and I'm still not good at it. But a couple years ago, it's probably been about three years, I put one day, I was gonna go golfing and there's lots of people that have access to my calendar and I would caution people to let too many people have access to your calendar. There are some people, but if they have access to your calendar, you need to have some kind of guardrails about what that means. And the person who had access to my calendar, amazing. And one day, probably been three years, one day I put on their wellness time from like 12 to five. And she goes, wellness time? What's wellness time? Mm. And I said, all right, listen, from here on out, if you see wellness time on my calendar, I'm golfing. And it was really funny because I'm still bad at it. I, my wife's amazing. She puts up with me and she asks me a lot, hey, when are you going to take some time off? But I've started really to the point that work will take as much as you give it, but really trying to, and this is a work in progress, really trying to be intentional of, I am going to block off this period of time, just like you said on your calendar, I'm going to block off this period of time. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to, I'm going to put my phone away. If I'm playing golf, I'm going to put it somewhere in the golf cart or in my golf bag where I can't hear it. I'm not going to look at it. And the other thing I did, you know, I, I still have a mini iPhone and my kids make fun of me, so I'm kind of stuck back in, back in the days. Having such easy accessibility is really a problem. Mm. And so I really try hard, and I've gotten, I've gotten a little worse at this recently. I need to kind of get control of it again, but I really try hard if I'm out to dinner, if I'm doing something with the family, I put my phone away. I don't answer the emails. I don't answer the text um, because it's really not that important at that moment. Right before we had cell phones, this is a back in the day comment, so get ready for it. Before we had cell phones, things still got done. Right? I mean, they still got done. Leaders led. We accomplished what we needed to accomplish. I didn't need to answer at nine o'clock at night or at eight o'clock when I'm having dinner with my wife. So, um, I mean, a, yeah, I mean, to show you how old I am, when, when I went to college, undergrad, there, we had a computer lab 
but there was no individual computers yeah. and there was no Apple phones. Therefore, there was no email. Yeah. Therefore, I still had a life. I still live. Things happen. The bills got paid. Like, now with the instant accessibility that there never was, but we did just fine. I and played so, a lot of Oregon Trail, though. <clears throat> a lot of played Oregon a lot of Oregon Trail. Trail. A lot of Oregon I wish, Trail. I wish there was a camera in the room and, and we could see our fellow's reaction to, you guys are super <laughs> No, old. man. She's <laughs> got her head down and so, her hands over her eyes. It's so so funny. I'll never remember this from elementary school because... So Oregon Trail was on a floppy disk, yeah. and my school didn't have the second floppy disk. Oh, man. So you could play Oregon Trail, but you could only get to, like, St. Louis. Was that before you got dysentery or after? It was after or oh. before. <laughs> but if you were actually doing well, my school in rural Ohio didn't have the final conclusion to the Oregon Trail, which is probably why I am the way I am today. Well, we're going to have an Oregon Trail weekend. <laughs> That's going to be our wellness time. We're going to finish Oregon Trail. Oh, guys, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I, I hate that we have to end this because this was so fun. I want to, I want to you know, let you guys share closing comments, but I want to share something both with you um, sincerely for me is that, you know, there's people around you um, or, you know, people we put in our lives that, you know, that lift us up and make us better. And you guys are that for me. And I so sincere, I uh, appreciate our relationship. So any, uh, any closing comments to the people listening to this before we sign off? I just, thanks for having me. Um, it's always a great time to just kind of, you know, this is my mental wellness time, actually. And this has been a really fun hour. And, uh, and uh, I hope we can do it more. And you're an amazing leader. You've actually mentored me in leadership. And I thank you for all you've done. Yeah, a couple things. First, thanks for Chili's. You know, I, I've said this to you personally, and... Um, and I mean it, the, the last few years in my career have been really rewarding and have really kind of helped me refocus on why I'm doing what I'm doing, where do I want to be, who do I want to be. So, so thank you for that. I also want to thank the, the EMS community as a whole. Jeremy and I aren't paramedics. We're not, we didn't grow up in, in EMS, yet we've been welcomed into this community, which is a really special community. And Jeremy and I realized that that we can't do what the people who are going to listen to this podcast do. And we're thankful for that. We're humbled by that. And we're just super appreciative that, that people are willing to listen to us and let us be part of the community. So I am so grateful that I was able to share this conversation with you today. Please share this episode with others and give it a five-star review. Also check out in the show notes. We have just added a place for you to leave comments. We want to thank you for all you do and thank you for your service. Until next time, please remember, be intentional about your leadership journey. And remember, you are the most important person that you will ever lead.